I've loved this series. Who's loved the Come and Listen series this go around? Jumping into Nehemiah. It's been amazing. Last week, uh, Dave did an amazing job kind of, uh, I think, taking a, an old text and really drawing our heart into our own community um, and, and saying, this is why we're here, to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. And do we, you know, what are the steps we need to take to um, meet the people right where they are um, that are hurting, that are lost, that need Jesus, that need what, what we've needed, not to stand above them and shout down to them like we figured it all out, um, but to join in with them and, and in, invade uh, some of the darkness that exists in our community and uh, in the world and be a part of you know, charging hell and bringing people out and bringing them into the light. Man, I loved, I loved last week, and, and I, I felt like it, it was an invigorating moment for, for the church. And I love that this is all about building. Like when, when, you, when you talk about Nehemiah, and that's where we are, if you've not been in the Come and Listen series, we've been tr- on this trajectory since actually 2014. We started in Genesis, and we've worked our way into the book of Nehemiah. And it's all about this idea of something that's been lost, something that's been destroyed, something that's been torn down. Um, and something that needs to be redeemed. And if you're looking for, you know, where's Christ in the story? Because really the Come and Listen series is all about these individual stories of God's faithfulness, but zooming out and going, okay, this is all about one story. It's leading to one thing. It's leading to one name. It's leading to one person, one event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But where is it in this Old Testament text where, you know, these people are complaining about the wall and the wall's been torn down, the temple's built but it's not built like it was built before. You know, where, where is Jesus and all of that? Well, it's so amazing how God weaves the foreshadowing of, of redemption into every story as you, as you move through Scripture. And that's really what the Come and Listen series is about. As we jump into Nehemiah chapter 4, if, you, if you've been around church for a while, you may, you may recall some of what happens. Really, this is where you know, kind of the ridicule and the mocking of the people that are building the wall comes in. Like Nehemiah chapter 4, I think it's... You know, it's, it's one of those classic texts. You know, you're gonna, if you're going to be a Christian, things are going to, you know, people are going to come against you. And I think we have a certain frame of mind when we think about being mocked and ridiculed as Christians. Uh, it made me think about the, the power of words I've talked about um, at, during our Easter season, but really in a positive way, how powerful words can be in terms of the way that we retain them. Um, and when we talked about it is finished and the word to die when Jesus um, gave everything for us on the cross, but the power of words on, in a negative way can also be super destructive. I mean, I think about why is it I can't remember as a 51-year-old, I can't remember last week, um, but I remember stuff from middle school. Um, is anybody with me? Like, I remember things. But it's because people say horrible things to you in middle school, right? It is like, it is a war zone when you go into middle school. And I remember I, I, I just barely you know, found myself on the football team, and I was not supreme athlete by, by any means, uh, and it was a, the JV team at a, at a pretty small high school, and I was pretty JV, uh, and I was 13 years old, and everybody on the team was going to, like, do crew, like super cool cuts like Brian Bosworth, and, you know, shave the head, do all the stuff, and I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to do that, too. I'm going to go to the barber and get my deal done. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what happened at the barber. Um, and, and I went there, and my, I remember the barber's name. His name was Tony. Uh, and he cut my hair, and I remember looking at it thinking, this isn't looking quite like my, my buddy's, like my friend's hair. Like, theirs is all, like, very military and Brian Bosworth and super cool, and mine looks really not great. 
Um, and it all got done, and I'm like, I wasn't quite sure, is this okay or is it not okay? And my mom's just talking to Tony the whole time and, you know, having a good time, you know, in the barber. And I'm just sitting there kind of feeling what a middle schooler feels like. Is this going to be okay when I go to school? Um, like, is it going to be all right? And sure enough, I, I went to school, and it really happened pretty, pretty abruptly and immediately. Um, I was dubbed bowling ball head. And... And you might think, it's funny, right? But I remember it so vividly. And it was all day long, all the time. And that's my reaction. I just was felt terrible about myself. And it was bowling ball head. Hey, bowling ball head. And it was, I mean, it was literally that, you know, when you see that, <laughs> I mean, that was exactly what was happening to me on every front. And then you get to, you get to football practice and you can't wait to put your helmet on. I was the one that's like every moment, everybody's at the water cooler and I'm still got the helmet on, pull it off and it's bowling ball head. And it happened. And I'll tell you this, this is tragic and I'm, I probably still need counseling. I have not been to the barber, an actual barber since 1990. That is no joke. I've been cutting my hair, my own hair since 1990. Even as I say that, I know you're thinking, should he be pastoring our church? But ridicules, it's a real thing. It is a real thing. And when you think about this passage, I think we, we get into kind of church world and we think about ridicule. But these people were actually, the words and the, I looked into the, you know, into the text, into the Hebrew, and it talks about mocking and ridicule. It's exactly what it means. They were literally making like rhymes up and making raps up, things that they were doing to mock these people, making fun of them personally, making fun of how how they did their work. I mean, they really went after them. And it starts back in Nehemiah chapter 2. I mean, just even looking at, uh, you know, where we are in the passage, you've not been with us. You know, Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and he was, he didn't even, had never even been to Jerusalem, but God placed it on his heart, just this burden. He broke his heart uh, for the fact that everything was destroyed, that God's people were in, in rubble. They were literally in rubble, and the temple was built, but, re, you know, barely. It hadn't really been done the way that it should have been done. It definitely didn't look like Solomon's temple. It took forever. They were trying to rebuild community. Zerubbabel came to rebuild the temple. Ezra came to rebuild the community and kind of get, hey, let's get back to church. It's post-COVID. You know, let's get everybody back in here. And it was kind of going okay, and, but it was not quite there. But one of the reasons was they were all terrified because they had no walls. They had no protection. They had nothing. And Nehemiah just unbelievable organizer. And he leverages his position with the king. He was obviously close and insider with the king, uh, probably you know, of the most powerful empire at the time on the planet Earth. Artaxerxes was the king. He was the cupbearer to the king. He was trusted advocate in the house, in the palace. He leaves the palace and goes to the ruins. He leverages his position to get supplies. All of the kings that, are, that knew Artaxerxes, he gets letters written to all of them. They load everything up and they go to Jerusalem. He surveys everything, waits, sees what's going to happen, makes a plan. He does some things that are really smart along the way. Uh, and then he dives into the work and the labor of doing it. And even before he gets started in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, the mocking begins. There's three guys that are just kind of, you know, the governor of Samaria is, starts it, and then kind of his do flunkies that are with him start chattering in and start doing the, the mocking right along with him. And you look at this passage in Scripture, if you got your Bible, in Nehemiah chapter 4, um, it starts right off the, the top. 
These guys are in the story. These ones that are mocking the Israelites. They're mocking the Jews that were trying to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem to give them protection. Uh, but it's interesting if you go back into Nehemiah chapter 3, it lists all of the people that were a part of the building of the wall. Like the people that were getting their hands dirty, their knees dirty, that, that were jumping in. And what I found interesting is you and go back and read Nehemiah chapter 3. It's really, it's, it's just a list of families and who was involved in what section. And they were all given different sections of the wall. Like, hey, this is my section. You know, take pride in your section, you and your family, and you do this. And what you find, it's like, it says... Like, this governor from this area is working on the wall with his family. This governor from this area, this official from this area. It wasn't just the like, people that you would think like blue-collar workers. These were government officials. These were the attorneys, the doctors, the lawyers, the, you know, the people that were you know, big-wig people in the Jewish community at the time. They were rebuilding the wall. It was an all-in kind of game. And I remember uh, one section in that passage, it talks about this guy, who was a high official, he had him and all he had, he didn't have any sons, all he had was daughters. The daughters were all in it. I loved it. It's like, hey, it's us and the girls, and we're going to build the wall. We're going to do this together. And it was this amazing picture of teamwork. So when you see that and you start to see success, and you're somebody that's outside of that success, what, what begins to happen? Now you've got these, just to give you some, some context, these guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, and the guy they call the Arab, uh, Geshem, um, they, they, were, they were Samaritans. So they're part Jewish. Um, from what we know, uh, they obviously ruled in, in Samaria, which is very, very close, right in the area. Basically, it's at this time kind of the same area. They're all kind of in the, you know, lumped together right there in and around Jerusalem. These guys are not happy. So if you got your Bible, look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and see how this unfolds and see what's happening. It says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall... He became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates, I love they call them associates, it's like the mob, and the army of Samaria. So this is, he's, he's doing it in front of people. I mean, you can imagine, this is, this is just get, get back in middle school, get yourself there, right? In the front of the army of Samaria, and he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they? And he, he asks these questions. He really doesn't want an answer to it. He's just kind of trying to draw people's attention. Like, will they restore their wall? Will, 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 will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? I mean, he's, obviously he's joking. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? I think those were the words that really kind of buried Sanballat because these are the people of God. And when you ask questions like, hey, can they bring stones back to life? I think God was like, <laughs> yeah, we can. We can do some pretty amazing things. But what, what I want us to see, even as we navigate through this passage in Scripture, just a few things. And I think I want to get our, our minds away from kind of the classic things, things that we think when we think about people that mock, people that we don't like, people that we consider our enemy. And really maybe reframe that. But number one is don't be surprised by the enemy's taunts. Don't be surprised by the enemy's taunts. I mean, we know it just even in Scripture, you look at John 10, it says you know, the enemy has come and he does not like you. He does not like it when you're successful, does not like it when you're, you know, moving closer and closer to God. He seeks what? He's got a business card and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy wants to bury you and he's real. 
but he's also very crafty. I think when we read this passage, we're like, okay, the enemy is very obvious in this, in this story, who the enemy is. But actually, there is, a, there is a subtext to the story. There's more going on than what, what we see. And that is definitely the way it is in life for us. We, we often confuse who the enemy is. He often attaches himself to unknowing enemies. Like, I don't know that Sanballat thought, you know, I am the devil's, you know, advocate. You know, I am the, I am the one that is, you know, the... I've been worshiping Satan, and I'm going to come against the Israelites. No, he's just feeling a territorial threat, but the enemy is leveraging and using him. You want to look at some of the characteristics of somebody that's coming against you and who, what your enemy looks like. You can see it in these guys. Anger. The enemy often garners support against you, creates doubt, stirs up trouble. That's kind of what the way the enemy operates. But when you think about how the enemy comes, it's often more subversive. And he comes to taunt. He comes to, and he comes in interesting ways. Anytime we're building or rebuilding something, the enemy comes. Anytime God's, God's on the move and you're stepping into the river Jesus and you're moving towards him, it's not going, we said this here many times, it is not going to be rainbows. And, oh, I just gave my life to Jesus. I guess I'm just going to ride the rainbow roller coaster into heaven while I'm here on earth. No, it's, it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be a, a movement of the enemy coming against you. you, you the, this is the moment, not that we just we rest. It's the moment we get closer and closer and closer to God. Because the enemy's coming. There's no, no doubt. When you, when you have somebody that becomes a new Christian, I, I, I see it all the time. Immediately, immediately the enemy comes to cast out. Like people that are just... Super excited about their faith. And on all fronts, things are happening around them. And I see it. Life, just things in life blowing up. And we think, oh man, wow, what a coincidence. They became a Christian and all these, these difficult things, a lot of pressure on them. You know, several years ago, my wife was doing a Bible study, I think with, with Ann. Um, and a, uh, a friend of theirs who wasn't a, a follower of Jesus was just in the Bible, was kind of seeking, just trying to figure it out, was in the Bible study. And she gave her life to Jesus. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and she was really excited about her faith. Um, and obviously was very encouraged by uh, the, the people that were in that, in that Bible study. And she goes home to visit her, her parents. And immediately, her parents are like, what did you do? You gave your life to what? Don't you know that's a cult? Don't you know they're drawing you in? Don't you know that they want something from you? They're not giving something to you? Don't, I mean, there was just one thing after the other. And she didn't expect it. I don't know what she expected, but she thought, I'm going to go home to my non-believer. I'm going to tell them the story of Jesus. I'm going to tell them how my life has been changed. I'm going to tell them what's happened to me. And they're, I, I get to, the first thing I get to do is lead my family to Jesus. And the opposite happens. And... What do, you think, what do you think starts happening to her? Cast doubt, right? Start thinking, is this real? Those, those words, you hear those taunts, you hear those things. Unknowingly, these, you know, the family members, are not, they're, they're image bearers of the king. They just don't know Jesus. They don't understand what they're lost. But the enemy is definitely leveraging, leveraging those words. It's a cult. It's not good. They're going to take something from you. Whose words are those? It's the enemy's words. What's beautiful in the story, and I love that God works this way, is she was 
riding down um, Butler Boulevard or uh, no, it was the Buckman Bridge. And just inner doubt was just like, God, are you real? You know, is this, I mean, just completely down, completely dejected, feeling bad about what happened when she went home to see her parents. And as she's praying, this is no joke, it's a real story. As she's praying, she stopped on the Buckman Bridge. All the traffic just backs up. And a dove. (laughs) Onto the car in the windshield. She's like, okay, we're all good. It's amazing. But the point is, is that when, 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 when we align ourselves with God, the enemy's coming. The taunts are coming. Even for... People that, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. Anything that's in the, in the river, I was here for the, like I said, for a wedding. Cody and Elise just got married. So a lot of you guys know who they are. It's so, super awesome. But guess what happens when you have a, a marriage that represents becoming one flesh, that's, that's representing the relentless pursuit of God's love for us? What happens? I mean, think about year one in marriage. Like, if I interviewed all of you and said, how was year one in your marriage? Was it exactly what you had hoped it would be? Yeah, exactly. It's not that easy. Some of you are like, it was a fairy tale. Well, when you're going to decide to tell the truth, we'll talk to you. Um, No, it's it's great, but it's a roller coaster. You're getting to know. you're, You're literally taking two sinners that love Jesus, and you're throwing them into the same house with different, and I mean, and depending on how long he's been a bachelor, I mean, you, it could be dynamite when it all comes together, you know? You, you thought this was a good idea to have this here? Uh, I mean, you could just imagine the things that happen, what, what enters into. And, the, and even with, with marriages that are at year 20, year 30, year 40, year 50, the enemy continually comes, and he taunts tries to pull away, subversive, comes in and does what only the enemy knows how to do and tries to break things down. When you, when you, when you take the step into ministry, I tell you what, if you, if you, or just serving, I'm not talking about ministry, you're probably thinking, well, I'm not going to, no plans to become a pastor. No, I'm talking about, men, like, when you say, I'm going to give, I, this, this is, I'm going to use my resources, I'm going to use my time, I'm going to use the gifts God's given me in my workplace and at church and in the community for Jesus. When you begin to do those things, the enemy, he comes. He comes. Come against you. I mean, at every corner at Ocean City Church, there's been, there's been an enemy that has come against the things that, that we're doing. And it's unknowing people that are just in the mix and thinking, okay, this is not good. So we're going to shut this church thing down. I remember we... we uh, we were praying for space, and miraculously, and it was I, we got nose at every turn here in, in Jack's Beach. I mean, we had I mean we had, we had raised some money. We had you know we did a letter, letters of intent to different places, and we're like, oh, your church, no, oh, your church, no. People just I don't know what it is about churches. People don't want them in their shopping center or wherever they are. And then we finally somebody called us and, and got us you know said, hey, you know what's your budget? You know, do you want to be here? Which is Better than any space we ever were we even looking at. We just we used to come by here and laugh and go, wouldn't it be cool to be in that space? And we would just move on. I mean, that's lack of faith on our part. And God said, Well, I'm just gonna have to move on your behalf, even though you're an idiot. And bring people into the mix and hey, what's your budget? We think you should be in this space. And we were like, Oh my goodness. And we went forward with all the stuff, started the, the process of making plans. We put a sign on the building, cost us three thousand dollars, and if you wanna judge me. 
um, you can send me an email. But it was three grand for that beautiful, wonderful OCC sign that's on the, the deal. And we were, you know, getting ready to start things, but we had to get, you know, our variance meeting with the city. Uh, we were 12 feet inside of the central business district, so we had to be, get a variance for a church. Um, and I, I started getting these messages on my, on my phone. I'm not real great on my phone. I just saw these city thing. I thought it was just like the city of Jacksonville Beach is changing their trash day to Tuesday. But it was actually uh, the city manager was calling um, and he left a message. He said, please call me, please call me, please call me. So I call him and he says, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, I know you guys were wanting to be in that space, you know, at the corner of, uh, you know, first and six. He goes, hey, he goes, that's, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. He goes, we've got all these ordinances, these portal to portal ordinances with how close churches can be to bars and this, that, and the other. He says, you know, we'll help you find a place, you know, maybe over the ditch or on the west side. Yes. Get thee behind me, Satan. Um, I mean, I just, can you, I mean, you, you, can, you can imagine, I mean, we've rallied the church, everybody's gotten excited, we've raised money, I mean, I'm about to throw up on myself, and I'm like, what? And so I, I went straight to the city, got a meeting with the city manager, and he, yeah, he's kind of laying it out for me, saying, hey, and I was like, can't we at least get, a, aren't we, a, you know, can't we get a, get a variance meeting? He goes, typically, yes, anybody can get a variance meeting for any project they want to do, and any whatever, uh, can we get a variance meeting? I was like, He's, he's like, yeah, but yeah, we're just not going to schedule. He goes, yeah, it might be, you know, we might do one for you next year. Like he goes, we kind of control the schedule and we really, you know, don't think you're going to be in that space. No variance meeting. So it's like, well, how, how do we, how do we do that? Like, what, what do we do? And I, you know, I just want to say when, when we look at this passage, like it, this is the moment where it's like, okay, we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and, we've prayed and asked God to move on our behalf because we, we, we have no really other option. But if you look at this text, I want you to see some things and then we'll jump back into that story. In verse 4, Nehemiah says, immediately he prays, he says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. He says, can you just drop a, a bomb on these fools? Can you get in their way? Can you do something? And he doesn't complain to his own people. He doesn't hurl inserts back. He goes before God and says, God, can you please just wipe them all out? Um, and prays a, a real honest prayer before God. And then verse 6, it says, For the people worked with all their heart. So they prayed, and then what did they do? They worked. They didn't just sit back. It's not like, it's like, if you ever even, I, I've been around people like, we prayed, we shouldn't have to do all this stuff. It's not about doing. We pray, we let God do it. It's like, if I pray, it's like, okay, building things, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to crack open a nice Coca-Cola, get some Doritos, and I'm going to lay on the couch and watch ESPN and God, you let me know when things are going to happen. And I'm just like, why, why isn't God moving? Because you're not moving. Because you're not working. Like God steps in. He blesses the things that you're doing. He blesses the things that you're doing. It's so represented, represented here. Now, sometimes God sidesteps and says, you're doing the wrong thing. I'm going to have to show you what to do. But they knew what the job was. The people worked, what? With all their heart. And then in 13, it says, Therefore, I stay. This is when they, they came under attack. They said, These guys aren't just mocking, they, they're, they're planning an attack. We've built half the wall, we've gotten it all kind of in place. And in verse 13, it says, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So they prayed, they worked, and then they posted. They prayed, they worked, and then they posted. It wasn't just prayer. 
They prayed, God, enter into what we're doing. We're getting ready to go to work. And we need you. We cannot do this on our own. We will be lost on our own. Please come on our behalf. We're going to go to work. We need you to help deal with these fools. And then they posted. They said, we need protection. We need to, we need to come together as a community. And I can't, basically, they, what Nehemiah knew, he said, look, we can, we can try to do this on our own, but together this will work. And I need you. I can't, I can't go over here and work on my section of the wall unless you got my back. And for me, when we were t- looking at what was happening with the city, immediately I got some people involved. I was like, look, I don't know what to do. This seems like a, a brick wall we're hitting. You know, what should we do? Well, first of all, I, I went to work. I started looking through all the city ordinances. And what I realized is he was using an ordinance that was supposed to be for the church and for schools, and he had reversed it and was making it useful for the bars and the restaurants and the people that were around here saying, you can't be 500 feet from a church. No, what, was, what it was meant was a bar can't all of a sudden drop itself you know, within two feet of a church or a school. It was to protect the kids. It was to protect the churches. It was to protect the children. It was all the way back in the 40s. And I found it. I highlighted it. And then I sent it to an attorney. I said, am I right about this? He said, yeah. He's like, yeah, you actually have a lawsuit. I said, I don't want to sue nobody. I said, I just want a variance meeting. That's all I want. And so I hired this guy and said, can you send a letter, attorney, I wanted that attorney letterhead, can you send a letter to my, my man, the city manager? And he did. And within a day, guess what we had? A variance meeting, right? And it, it starts there. And then it's like when you think about how, how this, this, this enemy thing works, we need to post people in our lives. Like when I think about the opposition for somebody that's a new Christian, somebody that's like for the men in here. And this isn't, I mean, I know it's for men and women, but I, I'm telling you, there is a, an enemy that wants to take all of you out. And I have seen it in the, la- in the last 10 years in the church. The, the, the lion's share of my counseling has been men doing destructive things in their marriages. Just, just lighting the whole thing on fire, but not even knowing how they got there. Like, it's that, it's that moment where you find yourself in the middle of the street and you're wondering, how in the world did I get here? I've told a story one time. I actually went to, to the drive-thru in my underwear and was getting a bunch of cheeseburgers. I know, this is a strange story. Getting a bunch of <laughs> cheeseburgers from my roommates. I was like, I don't need to put on shoes. I don't need to put on this. I'll just go in my boxer shorts. So I pull up to the deal, get all the cheeseburgers, and I pull out on Highway 27, and bam, I get in a, a car accident. I have to get out of the car in my underwear. And what do you say then? You're like, how in the world did I get here? Well, it started when you left the stupid house in your underwear. And I've sat in so many rooms with guys, and they're like, I don't know how this happened. And I'm like, let's trace your steps. But, but what's the problem? They didn't post anybody. They had nobody posted in their life. Nobody had their back. They had no accountability. Nothing. They were, they were living life on their own. And it's happened time and time again. We're going we're to enter a season as a church where we're, we, we, we have church on Sunday. Our hope is that you enter into smaller communities like city groups. But then we want you, men and women, in fight clubs, which are three to five people that are praying and contending for one another. 
that you're with them. You're studying the Bible together. Maybe you're just getting together and going, man, we got to meet for 30 minutes this morning. Or I need a phone call. Or get on a texting stream or say, hey, this just happened to me. I need prayer. You need those people in your life. We need this. Absolutely. We never want to forsake meeting together. This is one way we post up against the enemy. But we definitely have to have people in our lives that have our backs. Because the enemy, he is coming for you. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy you. And it's all, he, it just takes two seconds. It takes one little ad on the internet. And then you, the, the trail of where you find yourself is in, in the middle of the street going, how in the world did I get here with my marriage in shambles? It's because there's an enemy and he taunts, and he speaks, and he tells you what you can do, tells you what you can't do, tells you if God is for you or if he's against you, and he's always going to say, you don't need God. He's against you. He just wants to take something from you. You can do this on your own. It's what happened in the Garden of Eden. There's an enemy, and the enemy, when you try to build or rebuild or find yourself in the places of God, he will come after you. He will taunt you. He will pull you away as fast as he possibly can. And if you look at this, you know, and you got to be careful now. Everybody's not your enemy. Don't mistake, don't mistake the honest critic that's doing something for your good as the enemy. Like there might be somebody in your life that's saying, hey, bro, you might want to dial that one back. And you're just like, that's, you're my enemy, you know. You know, if somebody's trying to tell you how, how to do something a little bit better, or maybe that that's, that might not be your gift, man. Like this is you, you, I know you've been working real hard in this area, you know. I know you want to be on American Idol, but maybe that's not you, right? I know your mama thinks you can sing, but you don't want to mistake those people as your enemy. Because those people want to, want, want to help you out. But you, you read about this guy, just if you got your Bible, in verse 3, it says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at Sanballat's side, right? He's at the, the, the governor of Samaria. And he jumps in. I love you've got Sanballat and you've got, Ge you've got Geshem and Tobiah, these other guys. They're like the two little, little guys standing by Sanballat, you know, like, yeah, get them. And they get like Sanballat says all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. And they're kind of in there doing that kind of thing. And he says, he, he jumps in and says, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on the wall could break down their wall of stones. Like he, he's getting in the, in the noise. And so I, I read that, and I'm like, who are these, these little jokers that are with Sanballat? Like, who, who are these guys? What you find out is these guys likely are Jewish. And they married, they had Jewish wives. They were, they were in the community. And if you read it outside, like, in extra-biblical stuff, like if you read the, the works of Josiah that studied this section, he's like uh, Jewish history, he was a guy that, I mean, Tobiah, likely Jewish, right? I mean, he's just... He's, he's a guy that's trying to figure out the community. When you read about the history of these guys, they were Samaritans. Samaritans were what? Half, they, they were half Babylonian, half Jew. They were part of the community that they moved into, but they were the, the, the Jews that were the remnant that were there, and they were getting married to each other. And just They became you know, half this, half that. I mean, just get married, and that's the, the people. And, and the Jews were wrongly... Trying to just get, you know, they were racist. It was a racism that was breaking out. 
So in some ways, there was a justified thing that was happening with Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They're like, hey, we just want everybody to get along, and you're coming in with one way. It's got to be your way. And what they had done, and what you find out about Tobiah is he had tried to, he was one of those guys that was like, hey, if you want to worship God, great. If you want to worship Baal, great. If you want to set up an Asherah pole and worship whatever it is over here, that's great. If you want to be in the temple and worship you know, with um, you know, the, the people of God, then that's great. And they tried to create this very political environment where everybody was happy. We'll just let people do what they want. You do you. Individualism, right? Like expressive individualism. Let's, you do you. Don't let anybody stomp on your parade. You, you live your life. You know, live your dream. Live your truth. I'm not, who, who am I to step, step into that? That's who this guy was, interestingly enough. And here comes Nehemiah, who's like, there's one way. There's one God. This is what we're doing. This is, his, this is his place. This is his land. This is his temple. This is what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild this wall. We're going to, everything's changing. So there was a territorial breakdown, and Tobiah was like, well, he's, he's wrecking everything. It was like King Ahab. People always think King Ahab, seventh king of Israel, he was an evil king. He was evil, but his evil was that he did nothing. He was, he was kind of a passive guy. He's like, hey, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, so you guys can do what you want over here. You guys can do what you want over here. And of course, he married Jezebel, which was a problem. But that was kind of who he was. That's who Tobiah was. He wasn't necessarily the, the worst guy on the planet. He's a, he's a God, everybody on planet Earth, image bearers, right? But, but he, he started, what did he start doing? And it's my, my second point. He started speaking the enemy's language. Don't speak the enemy's language. You could end up being a Tobiah and you don't even know it. So yes, the enemy comes whenever you're moving in the things of God. The enemy is coming to taunt. He, he is coming against you. But sometimes we become the enemy's voice, don't we? Don't we become the, what, what, what the enemy does? I mean, if we don't think that that's true, look at, look at what Jesus says to Peter. Peter doesn't like the plans that are happening. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter's, Jesus is kind of laying out, hey, I'm going to die. Hey, this is, this, is the, this is the future. And didn't quite understand what was going on. And he rebukes Jesus and says, oh, no, 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 no. What does Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. He says that to a guy that arguably was one of his best friends on the planet. But Jesus knew that he was, he was speaking the enemy's language. Speaking the enemy's language. I mean, I always think about Karate Kid. Right? Like Johnny Lawrence, he wasn't that bad of a guy. Right? He just got messed up with John Kreese. Right? That's the sand ballot of Karate Kid. Right? I mean, just is what happens. And then you got Tobiah, you know. Sweep the leg, Johnny. Ha! Put him in a body bag. Right? <laughs> if you've seen Karate Kid, then you're with me. But, that, but, but it's, un, it's an unknowing thing. Like, we can be that person. We can be the one that carries the enemy's voice. And it terrifies me. In some ways, when we feel a territorial threat, and I've seen it happen in church. See, this is a territorial threat. When we feel a territorial threat, it's like all of a sudden we're like, who is that that just walked in the room? You know? That's what I do. That's not, I, I, I'm the, that's my job. Why are you here? And they're, they're good at what they do. 
I mean, you got to think about it. He was the, Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, and here comes the governor of Jerusalem, and this is really kind of the same area. How do we do with, with things that seem like territorial threats? I mean, we, jealousy, I've seen it time and time again in my own life. It can crush you. It can crush you. It can crush the church. It can crush unity, the territor- territorial threats. People unknowingly, in their pride, can just absolutely dismantle things. I think even in my own household, like you unknowingly out of your own selfishness and sin, you can crush your kid's spirit. The things that have come out of my mouth, I have definitely carried the enemy's words in my household with my kids and crushed their spirit. In my frustration, you know, thinking, thinking I'm doing the right thing, thinking this is the right thing. This is what they need to do. This is how they need to do it. This is what it looks like. But really, it's because I want them to look good. I want them to be good. I want them to stay good. They're the pastor's kids. They got to do it this way. Don't do it that way. Look what you have done. You know? I mean, I wouldn't go so far as I've said, you're, you're not my son. But my words, yeah, Brett's like, but. But my words have crushed them. And carried the enemy's tone. The enemy wants to crush your family. And he'll do it from the inside out. And this is an inside job. These guys were insiders. It's an inside job. Done it to my wife. Being reckless with my words. You don't think you're a Tobiah. But you can be. Carrying the enemy's voice in your own house. James says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. In verse 9, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and we will curse human beings who have been made in the likeness, in God's likeness. Same voice. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing, and we can be in that place many, many times. Being the hammer, being the voice of the enemy. Verse 10, it says, Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them. And we will kill them and put an end to their work. So the enemy's like, hey, we've we got a plan against them. And the Jews who lived near them came and told us, ten times, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Number three, don't sing the enemy's song. You don't want to be the enemy's voice, but you also don't want to sing the enemy's song. Because that's what you see that's happening here. Listen, all of a sudden, what did the enemy say? Look, you can't move all this rubble. What, are you going to build that wall? And what are they, what are they saying? There's so much rubble. Everybody's tired. Ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. They're saying on the north, south, east, and west, the enemy's everywhere. The people of God start singing the enemy's song right here. The enemy repeatedly said those things, and then they said them ten times. It's like a Pentecostal church singing the bridge too much. They're like, they're all around us, they're all around us, they're all around us. We're surrounded, we're surrounded, we're surrounded. Singing the enemy's song. Ten times over. And I just want to ask the question, have you ever sung the enemy's song to yourself? Because I think 
for us, our, our greatest enemy many times can be our own voice in the things that we speak over ourselves. I mean, have you ever, you ever said those things? I have. I remember several years ago, and I've told this story a few times, so I won't, I won't get it into the, into, the, into the deeps here at the end. But, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. My life really changed dramatically when I was 29 years old. I started to realize that, man, life is all about Jesus. Just like Gerald said, it wasn't just about, you know, attaching Jesus on, going, yeah, Jesus is Lord of my family, and I go to church, but I got a job, and we're going to have the, the dream. It was like, Jesus is life, right? Woke up to that whole idea, and within uh, less than a year, actually, um, I was riding around in my car, praying, and uh, that night, um, just got this strange neurological symptom, and it grew into symptoms all over my body, um, and just got horrible. You know, I was in bed a lot of days, um, and the next three and a half years, um, just in the tank. And, and, and the words that the enemy spoke over me and the doubt that he cast on me all, rendered me help. Like in terms of doing ministry, what I had been doing for that past year when, when God had woke me up, I, I told everybody I knew about Jesus. And then instantly, almost, within a, within a year, I think that's the enemy, attack, taunt. And the words that I was speaking over myself is I might die. I didn't know what I had. didn't know what was going on. You're not going to walk. You're not going to be able to carry your unborn son. Abe, was, Abe wasn't even born yet. You're not going to make it. God doesn't care about you. If God loved you, look at you. You've given your life to him, and, he, and this is what happens. He has all power, all authority. He is sovereign over all things, and here you are. You can't get out of bed. Right? People are going to have to take care of you, which was my nightmare just to even think about it people are going to have to take care of you, Derek. Now, let me ask you the question. Whose voice is that? That's the enemy's voice. That's the enemy's song. It's too much rubble. We can't make it. We can't do it on our own. What song are you singing? That you're a failure? That someone didn't pick you? That you're unloved? That you're, you're alone? that you talk too much, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're a bad father, you're an imposter. Man, I've spoken that one over myself so many times. You're an imposter. Verse 14, I love it. Look at the response from Nehemiah. What does he say? He changes the song immediately. He says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. Now, here's, here's the truth of what's happening. Because they were saying, look, there's too much rubble. There was too much rubble. So the enemy was right on that one. They were surrounded on all sides. That was a true statement. They had no way out. They were tired. The laborers were worn out. They had been working day and night. They had to post people. People were exhausted. They had not one bit of strength left. That was true. So the enemy's words were true. What he said was true. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You are too weak to do this. You can't, there's no way you're gonna rebuild the wall. There's no way you're gonna fix your marriage. There's no way you're gonna get out of this stream of loneliness. There's no way you're gonna make yourself feel better. There's no way you're gonna get all of this done. All those things. Sometimes the enemy, the, the words that he uses are true. And that's why it gets in there. It buries itself. The enemy's song is sometimes he's singing the song of the redeemed. 
You ever heard that Shane and Shane song? A powerful song that the devil is singing, an age-old song, the song of the redeemed. That you are cursed and gone astray, that, that you cannot have salvation. He's saying true things. It's the way the enemy works. He's singing the song of the redeemed, that you can't make it, that you're not good enough, that you, you are too far away, that you are cursed and gone astray. That you can't have salvation. It's not coming to you. He so conveniently, continually sings the, the first verse over you. But guess what? He's forgotten the refrain. Jesus saves. You are cursed and gone astray. You can't find salvation. But Jesus saves. He saves. I can't do it on my own. You're right. You can't do it on your own. But Jesus saves. Jesus rescues. He redeems. He is with you. He is great and mighty. He is the Lord who is great and awesome. The enemy will sing truth over you, but he will skip the refrain every time. And I'm telling you right now, you put your life fully in Jesus' hands because you can't do it on your own. Only he can. It's interesting. We sang a song. Do you have your, anybody have sheets from the thing? My man got some sheets. This is so good. No. 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 It's got to be in here somewhere. What's the second song? Pardon me. Here it is. Yeah. You know, the bridge in My King Forever, Beth just whispered this to me, and I just cried the rest of worship. The bridge is, and you can put it up there, the bridge in, in, in My King Forever. It says, I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life down before you. I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down. My whole life now is for you. She said, what if, what if that's not us saying it, but that's, that's Jesus saying it and singing over us. I lift my hands up. I lay my whole life down. My whole life now is for you. And I couldn't contain myself sitting there. She's so smart. And then it just, it changed the whole trajectory of, of the rest of the song. All praise to the Lord most high. All praise to the one who saved my life. And I'm just thinking his hands are up. All praise to Jesus Christ, high king of heaven, my king forever. So powerful. So powerful. Let's stand together. I don't know where you've come from, but God is for you today. There's a lot of voices. Your own is probably one of the strongest ones that you'll ever hear. And God wants you to take that song of the redeemed. And he wants this. One of the reasons we sing together. It rewrites the narrative in our heart, in our mind. But some of you just need to give your life to Jesus. And this is a moment as we sing for you to give your life to Jesus because he saves. He saves. He saves. 
God, we love you. We love who you are. We love how you change everything in an instant. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just come. Do what only you can do.